Are you here? You are here, aren't you? (laughs) Well, it certainly seems you are, listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hey, we got a short interview from the archives today, and it's, well, it's just for you. Marsha Ball. Marsha's a renowned blues singer and pianist, and Paul E. Leslie had the grand pleasure to see her a couple of times in concert. And her records are certainly worth seeking out. Now, Marsha Ball was born in Orange, Texas. So she's Texas-born, but really she was raised in, I guess you could say she's from Vinton, Louisiana. She has a lot of the Gulf Coast and Louisiana influence in her work. And whether she's performing her own songs or something someone else wrote, it's distinctly Marsha Ball. People who love real music love her material, and they are dedicated fans. So this interview with Marsha Ball was taped outdoors. It was recorded outside this funky little coffee shop in the funky little Five Points neighborhood in Atlanta. She was playing at the Varsity Playhouse, of course. They had just a few moments to talk before Marsha Ball would be taking the stage. Speaking of moments, maybe you have just a few moments to help support the show. We're thankful that you're listening to this, but we'd be forever grateful to anyone and everyone who can do the extra good deed by going to thepaulleslie.com slash support. Keeps the show going, and right now we're about to embark on new goals, and your help will allow us to get to that next level. So let's start the show with Marsha Ball. Come on, Paul. Take us back there. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our pleasure to welcome the one and only Marsha Ball. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. So who is Marsha Ball? (laughs) Hmm. Well, the person sitting beside you, drinking coffee after a 10-hour drive from Ruston, Louisiana, to play a gig in Atlanta, and happy to be here. Thank you for being here in Atlanta. I wanted to talk a little bit about where you came from. You were born in Texas, but you grew up in Louisiana. Right. So what kind of music did you hear growing up around the house? Well, growing up in on the Gulf Coast, on the state line of Texas and Louisiana, it was big soul music part of the country, and also that was the times. Grew up as a young child in the 50s, as a teenager in the 60s, with the Beatles overlapping with Percy Sledge, with Cajun music one night at the Catholic Hall across the street from my house, and a big soul band with horns the next night playing music. Everybody liked to dance. You could always... uh, go down the road to the honky-tonks on the Louisiana side of the line where it was always easier to get a drink. And there was always something you could get in there. My brother was going when he was 14 years old. I was a little more, they kept a better eye on me. <laughs> they did. Yeah. But um, we just had a lot of music. And in the house, my grandmother played piano and my aunt played piano. We didn't really have records or, you know, play the radio a lot, more or less the family gatherings, we played music. So how did you gravitate to the piano? Was it because of your grandmother? And Yeah, it was really something that was decided for me. The piano appeared 
and about the time I started school, they started taking me to piano lessons as well. So what kind of stuff were they playing? My grandmother played ragtime, old stride music, beautiful Tin Pan Alley songs, that stuff I really still love. My aunt also played the music of her time, which was the 40s, and she played that beautiful Gershwin and show tunes, beautiful music like that, and she was a great piano player. She had a very florid, flowery, elaborate style, and she was very good. When you think about your influences, who would you say your influences are on the piano? Well, just to get started, I would have to say them, just because essentially having them in my family gave me permission to be a piano player in a way. Then growing up, the biggest stars of that time were Jerry Lee, Fats Domino, Little Richard, and Ray Charles, and they were all piano players. So it was just a wealth of, of information. Later on, I delved deeper into the New Orleans piano players. I didn't know about Professor Longhair, for instance, until the 70s, after his stuff in the 50s was reissued. And then I really got a, got a earful. What was it about Professor Longhair's style that you'd say it is you liked? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, the most infectious, danceable, fun, silly, complicated, and yet very simple, polyrhythmic, funky stuff. And they called him the Bach of Rock, you know, totally innovative, that stuff. He took everything that he had ever heard, the older guys, Archibald and Toots Washington and people like that, and, and he layered on that rumba beat, and he created something unique. It just really sang to me. You have an album that was released in March of this year, 2011, Roadside Attractions. Tell us about that title. How'd you pick that? Well, the song, Roadside Attractions, was one of the first songs I actually wrote for the, for the record, and... and it just sprang out of my own life, life its own self. And truly, I guess I have seen everything I mentioned in that song. I just started kind of listing all the crazy stuff. I guess I haven't ever seen Jesus in a screen door. But we did go out of our way in Corpus Christi one time to see the weeping statue of the Virgin Mary. So I guess that counts. Everything else, drive through redwoods, two-ton balls of string, giant strawberries, everything else. You know, that's what you do. And, and every day we pass something at 70 miles an hour and go, God, I wish I had my camera. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Irma Thomas. She's a past guest of ours. You've done a number of things with her. Tell us about your friendship with her. Well, talking about influences, I would always list Irma as, as a prime original influence, especially on what I became as a performer, as a... Um, as a stage performer, and I saw her when I was 13 on a show in New Orleans, and, you know, she made a huge impression on me, on stage, leading the band, fronting the band, uh, of course, her wonderful voice, which is undiminished now, probably 50 years later, she still blows me, blows me away, and the material that she sang, all that great Toussaint stuff, and all the great writers in New Orleans, it's just was great. So I met her again later, maybe 10 or 12 years later, I finally met her. Uh, I'd already moved to Austin. I was back in Louisiana visiting and stumbled upon a gig of hers. Then not long after that, we were interviewed together and I got to 
really talk to her and get to know her a little better. And every step of that way, she was always so warm and so friendly and easy to be around. Just I told my friend, my best friend from, from that time, I said, it's like she's one of us. It's like meeting another sister. And it's always been that way. So then I got to make that record with her. And that was really a, a thrill. We were talking about this en route here to this coffee shop. There's a song, it's on an album, it's a tribute to Fats Domino called Going Home, and you do a song with Irma Thomas, Just Can't Get New Orleans Out of My Mind. Tell us about that cut. Well, that record was to raise money to help Fats get back in his house and to build a community center in the Ninth Ward across from his house to really help people uh, get back on their feet down there. It had some heavyweights on it. It had uh, a cut from John Lennon that Yoko had handed over, and it had, uh, I guess, Harry Connick's on it, all, all these all these New Orleans people, plus national acts. And so they were sending us possible songs. They, they called and asked if Irma would do something and, and with my band backing her up. And, of course, I said, yeah. And then we started looking for material, and we nev- they never did send us anything that I thought was appropriate or, you know, first tier. All the hits were kind of claimed up by the national guys. I started looking and I found this song on e-music. I just can't get New Orleans off my mind. And it is so Irma, it is so perfect. Sent sent it to her and I sent it to them and I kind of pushed it into the mix and that's what we did. It is and Fats wrote that song, which is the the best part because you know, he gets more money that way. Certainly. <laughs> There's a documentary film series and one of the particular episodes if you will, is called Piano Blues and it features you. Right. Tell us about that documentary. Well, Martin Scorsese decided to do the blues. It would be like if Ken Burns did the blues, I guess. He was the overseeing director, but he parceled out various aspects to other directors and it happened that Clint Eastwood was doing the piano, since he is a piano player and a big music fan. Mostly jazz, but the blues too. He was really a very appropriate guy to have because what he did more, I think, than almost anybody else in that whole project was he let the players play. He talked about background, but he let the players he could get with play and then he showed films of others. And so the night that I was there, we met and they picked me up. I was playing the Monterey Jazz festival and they picked me up and took me to his studio barn in Carmel and Pine Top Perkins and Jay McShann were there and so we all just sat around and talked and then we all played a little bit. It was just like amazing. Very cool. There's a, a question I ask all of my guests and I always feel that it tells you a lot about that person. It's kind of a simple question. I remember you doing this song called Mama's Cooking but it makes me wonder what is your all-time favorite meal? Mm. You know, in that song I say crawfish bisque is my favorite dish, and it is. It truly is. And my aunt Love, down in Thibodeau, Louisiana, made the best crawfish bisque you've ever had. Rivaled only at this point by my annual dinner in New Orleans with Jimmy Anselmo and his wife Joan, and Joan Cook's crawfish bisque and she starts by boiling the crawfish and then she picks them and then she makes the dressing and then she stuffs the, the shells and she makes the gumbo and she puts it all together and there's always 
other great stuff, a fabulous salad or stuffed artichokes, which is a real New Orleans thing. Or this time, for dessert, she had picked blackberries in City Park in New Orleans, and she made blackberry ice cream. Mm, so, crawfish bis. When somebody listens to one of your records, or if they come here, you play, what is it you want the listener to get out of the experience? Well, all of my records have a serious moment. It's been that way for a long time. It seems like I usually manage to get the point across, dating back to St. Gabriel, about a woman who had been abused by her husband and, and who ended up killing him in self-defense and went to prison and then was eventually released. Then Where Do You Go When You Can't Go Home, the song that Tracy Nelson and I wrote after Katrina, my song Ride It Out about people who don't leave when there's a hurricane and what might happen. It has a happy ending in this case. And this new record on Roadside Attractions, there's a song called This Used to Be Paradise about the loss of the wetlands and the effects of industry on, on our natural environment. So there's always that. I'd like to get the point across. But then, really, my job is to entertain. And I know that. I'm not really on a soapbox completely. Mostly I want people to dance and I like it when people say that my music made them happy. Well, my last question is open-ended. We have listeners from many different countries and all over this country. What would you like to say to all the listeners? Mm, that is open-ended. <laughs> can go anywhere from here. Yeah, I can or nowhere. <laughs> Gosh, be good to each other. I think my whole philosophy of life can be summed up by <laughs> by the philosophy expounded in the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is be good for goodness sake. Wow, that was a great answer. Well, it's been a pleasure to do this interview. Thank you very much. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.